Drinks, food, art, fun. This is Hops and Spirits Kentucky. Joining us to kick off our Whiskey Weeks 2023 here on the Hops and Spirits Kentucky podcast is a... She might not be a, a familiar face, but the brand is in Barrel Craft Spirits as we welcome in Stephanie Bear, their U.S. Director of Sales. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I appreciate that, and I've gotten to talk to Trip and uh, Will, so there's several people that, that we've gotten to, to talk about Barrel, but it's so cool to see what they've been doing and how they keep expanding, and I'm pretty sure we'll be talking a lot about that. But before we get into that, I call this the Cliff Notes. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Not too much, because we've got some questions to ask. Fair enough. Uh, well, as you said, my name is Stephanie Bear. I live in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I sell whiskey, but in my free time, I like to go skiing and hiking and do all that fun outdoorsy stuff. And I am the proud owner of two very obnoxious cats who may try to bomb this interview at some point, just so you're aware. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the first time a cat or a, a, a dog or even a kid has uh, randomly showed up uh, on the podcast. So things happen. It's okay. Sure. <laughs> now, you mentioned you know that you you do sales. You're in the whiskey business, but that wasn't what you went into right uh, right away, right? You were into production, TV, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, I went to school in Boston. I went to a great college called Northeastern University. And I hold a double major in journalism and Spanish. And I was the long form news director for my school's TV station. And I had ambitions of being a foreign correspondent when I graduated. Um, I did some internships, Boston City TV, NBC News specials in New York for the national broadcast. Um, and I moved to New York City when I graduated college to work for NBC in freelance, kind of any job I could get. Um, so that was that was the original intent. <laughs> Now, now, where where did things go? Uh, maybe a little differently then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you can say awry; it's fine. <laughs> no, no, I say differently. Every everyone takes a different path. <laughs> no, you know what? I, it's really funny. Most of the people I know who work in liquor, or beer, or wine, most of us didn't start, you know, leave college going to work in this industry. Like something happened along the way that led us down this path. And I mean, I'm super, I'm super happy about where I landed, but. Basically, the, the long and short of it is, is I graduated in the middle of the recession in 2009, moved to New York. I did get some freelance work with NBC News at the time, um, but that was right about when, I don't know if you've ever heard about this. I don't know why you would have unless you were interested in this industry, but um, GE uh, sold NBC to Comcast right about that time. So a lot of people I knew got shuffled around or left. Um, and I just wound up needing to work in restaurants and, and bars to support myself in the meantime. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and, and here I am 10 years later. <laughs> well, and I, I was going to say, I know you, you've kind of had different roles in, in the alcohol industry as you've, you've, you've worked into that. What was it that you were like, okay, let's give this a try and, and see where it goes? What was that initial foray into the world? Well, my first job ever was at you know, a really small little cafe in, in Amherst, New Hampshire, where I'm from. So I have been working in a restaurant in some capacity since I was 13 years old, which is the legal age to work in New York with parental consent, or at least it was in 1999. Just if anybody wants to do the math, that's how old I am. But um, anyway, I, uh, you know, I, I started working in bars and restaurants and I first I wanted to be like a fine dining. I wanted to be a maitre d'. So if anybody's ever been to Del Frisco's Grill in, in Rockefeller Center in New York City, I opened that place as the maitre d'. And I, I really liked it for a while. And then 
I was just like, I, I just hit a point with fine dining where I was like, I'm too casual for this. Like I can do it, but it like takes a lot of energy and I just want to joke around and laugh and have fun. And I saw the bartenders getting to do that a bit more. And I was like, that seems like a cool job. I want to go figure that out. So I left Del Frisco's grill and I went over to a bar called um, American Whiskey, which is on 30th street between 7th and 8th Avenue, right near Penn station, which opened in 2013. And it was one of the first like high volume cocktail bars kind of in that neighborhood of New York city. And as a result, we had like amazing cocktails and we were really busy. So we got a lot of brand attention. Lots of people from distributors and brands, you know, alike would come in and sit at the bar and have drinks. And I just, it just sort of clicked for me. I was like, Oh, every bottle on this back bar has a whole company behind it full of people working that have jobs. I want to try to figure out how to do that. And so I, I just went with it. <laughs> uh, I, I love it. Well, and, and to me, as, as someone that, you know, has been in the industry, the communication industry, you're still telling stories. It's just over a drink now and in and, uh, and different places. So it, it's still all connected. Yeah, absolutely. And you get to... I'm a huge traveling fan. I love to travel like anytime I can get out of the state, out of the country. I, I do my best to do that and go to like really remote, faraway places. My friends will tell you, my boss will tell you, Stephanie's idea of a vacation is not relaxing at all. She just likes to be as stressed out and uncomfortable as possible in like the world's most, most like, remote area. <laughs> and Seems like a good working... plan. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, why not? Right. You only live once. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was working for these different brands, you know, you're working with mostly whiskey that was a huge whiskey bar we had like 500 plus world whiskeys kind of all over the place but lots of other spirits too and i started learning and studying about them and i was like oh like you could travel all over the world with all these bottles on the back bar and it's like it's your oyster like pick this one up and you're going to go to scotland pick this one up you're going to go to japan pick this one up you're going to norway and it was just a really cool way for me to sort of learn about the culture and the culture of drinking kind of around the world while i was kind of figuring out how to do this as a career now, were you always into whiskey, or did that come when you got into the, the job at, at, at American Whiskey? You know, I, uh, I was a gin and tonic girl for a long time. That was, and then I found out later after I you know, was well into my 20s, and I was talking to my parents about drinking, that my mom was a gin and tonic girl. And I was like, oh, it's genetic. It's ingrained in me. <laughs> Um, I don't think I appreciated whiskey until I really started working with it and like learning about it. And you got to remember, like whiskey didn't really blow up until what, like, you know, 15 years ago, maybe at this point. And that mm -hmm. was just a couple of years after I had been introduced to this industry. And so I was kind of playing catch up for a really long time. But once I started, I couldn't go back. <laughs> so, so you, <laughs> did you build out a collection as time went along or, or how did that work? <laughs> Well, as a bartender in New York City, uh, you don't have a lot of extra income, generally speaking. So I used the bar to learn about every bottle I was selling. I was very fortunate to work at a place, like I said, that had a great selection, but also that encouraged us to like sample and like learn as long as it was being done educationally. Um, so I, I really kind of figured out my favorites and, and what I like to sell and work with based on that. Now you can see I have a lot of barrel products, obviously at my home bar and, and Stellum as well. And I've got a few other bottles here and there that I, that I hide when I'm on camera for work, but I've, I've got a, a fair amount going on over here. <laughs> so, well, and now you have more space cause I'm guessing in New York city, you didn't have a whole lot of space either to just have a collection. Yeah, you're totally right. When you're sharing like a 500 square foot, two bedroom apartment, it's not like your roommate has a lot of uh, patience for <laughs> shelves and shelves full of bottles. <laughs> 
then, and then you know, as you you went along, you you kind of started to work and in, in, uh, into the industry. You went from behind you know from behind the bar to I guess in front of the bar where you were kind of doing some of the things that you saw folks come in. When did that shift happen, and why did that? Why did was that something you wanted to pursue? When did my shift happen for wanting to start pursuing like a brand job, essentially? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I would say I first got like, I, so I started at American Whiskey in 2013, like August 2013. So actually exactly like 10 years ago. Um, and I would say within the first two years was when I really started to, to pick it up. Um, but I was, I was really fortunate. I, I met Will. Uh, Will Shragas, formerly of Barrel Craft Spirits, who you've talked to before, um, as he was a rep for Rum Clement, or pardon me, for Spearbam at the time. So he sold me Rum Clement and Rum JM. And uh, he would, he came in, I think it was like his second day on the job, and he sat at the bar and introduced himself to me, and we just got to chatting, and we became friends after a while. And when he left um, Spearbam to go work for Barrel Craft Spirits, which was I think in like 2015 or so, he was like, you should you should work for us part-time. Like you would be good at this. Like you should do in-store tastings. You should do like staff educations. And I, you know, hustling in New York city, I was like, sure, more income. Like, absolutely. When can I do those? <laughs> um, and I did a, a handful of them for Will and, and Joe. And I was like, you know what? I really like this. I think I want to try to figure out how to do this permanently. Well, and like you said, that was your first foray into it. And you did a couple other things. What brought you back to barrel and, and, and getting back in with them? Yeah, so I worked for Barrel for just shy of a year from like 2000, I think it was 2015 to 2016, or it might have been 16 to 17. The years blend together as you get older. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been a lifetime since then, I feel like. But um, I, I got offered a job with Frenette Bronca, and I was being offered like a salary and like a 401k and an expense account, and most importantly, health insurance, really. And I was 1099 at the time for Barrel. And I remember I called Joe and I'll never forget where I was. I was living in Jersey City at this point. It was like seven or eight o'clock at night. So it was dark out. And I went for a walk to get out of my apartment to have this conversation with him down the street. And I was standing next to like a deserted park and I was telling him about it. And I was like, I really don't want to leave. I really don't. I, I really love this whiskey. I love working for you. I love working with Will. Like, is there any way that you can, you know, match this offer somewhat so that I can stick around? Because I really do have to consider health insurance and all that stuff. And he was like, Stephanie, you know what? You've done a great job for us. We're just not at the place as a company where we can offer that right now. But I think you should go take this job. He's like, I want you to go take it. I want you to learn about working for larger companies, learn everything that you can, and we'll call you in a couple of years. And I was like, oh, okay, well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And I was like, I'm never, he's not going to call me. Like, it's, you know, how often do people say that? It was nice of him. So I left. I took the Fernet job. One thing led to another. I went to William Grant for a while. And uh, I had remained, Will's one of my best friends, has been for a very long time. So we stayed in touch. And, and he called me and he was like, hey, I know you want to leave New York City. Um, we have a job in Denver. Do you want to move? And I was like, absolutely, I do. And a month later, I was living in Colorado. No joke. <laughs> That's a, it, Were you like, oh, he really did call? Like, was that yeah, like a yeah. shock? I, I, <laughs> I think it was one of the first things I brought up to him. And it was, you know, November of 2019 at the time. And so we were all at the distillery in Louisville, Kentucky, for our national sales meeting in February of 2020, right before the world shut down, doing a single barrel pick with a bunch of our national, you know, partners. 
And uh, Joe and I sat next to each other at dinner, and he just leaned over and he was like, so what do you think? It's pretty cool, huh? It's great to have you back. And I was like, Joe, I, I swear I did not think I was going to get a phone call from you. And he was like, oh, I was always going to call you. And I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> glad it worked out. I'm super psyched to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and since then, you, you've had several several different roles and, and responsibilities. How have those diff- you know changed over time, and especially as Barrel has grown and, and so forth? Well, they've changed a lot. I mean, Barrel has grown just exponentially in the four short years that I've been a part of this company. I mean, we have just been really fortunate over the last three years or so to really kind of blow up. And um, when I came on board, I was a brand development manager. So I was based here in Denver. My responsibilities were interacting with accounts and with our wholesaler here in Colorado and just kind of building brand awareness. So really sales heavy, but also a lot of in-store tastings, you know, a lot of events, a lot of whiskey club activity, you know, cocktail placements, all those kinds of things that you can get to just get your brand in front of people as much as you possibly can. So I did that for about a year and a half and then I got promoted to um, the senior brand development manager position where I took on a lot of states in the Midwest. So I was managing like Colorado, but also the Dakotas, Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri, Minnesota, handful of others, um, Oklahoma, Louisiana, so on. And um, that was really, that was a really tough role. Um, We still have that role in the company. It's called regional manager now, which I think makes a bit more sense for what the role actually is. But essentially at that time, the the sales team at Barrel was still only like four people. No joke, There, there were four of us. And so, it was being on the road a lot and just traveling all over the place, you know, full weeks of market work, you know, with your with your sales reps kind of in every state that you did, you know, your your management in, um, trying to keep the Colorado business up at the same time. Um, and then also being responsible for numbers in a way that I had never really been before. So it was a lot of just on the job learning and it's pretty hard to balance being on the road that frequently, being kind of the face of the brand in that way and doing all the back of the house you know, Excel stuff for lack of a better word and figuring out how to like grow the business organically. So I did that for about eight months. I got promoted to director of sales West in January of last year. So I basically had everything West of the Mississippi. And that was when I started managing a team of people. Um, And January of this year, I was promoted to director of sales US and I now manage the sales team, which is about 17 people right now. And, and obviously in this role, what does that entail for folks that may go, well, what does that person do? Because they've got a team that's out on the ground, but clearly there's a lot more that goes into it than just sending folks to places and, and hoping people buy things. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really what, that's that's just what it is. Let's boil it down. <laughs> no, it's um, a director of sales role, at least in the, in the way that I've been in it in the last, you know, eight and a half months or so, has really consisted of managing the expectations of our wholesale partners and of our national accounts partners and in making sure that our sales team is equipped with everything that they need to go out into market and execute. So it's a hundred percent, well, not a hundred, I would say 90, 99% desk oriented. Like I'm at home, I'm not really traveling nearly as much. I, I travel a bit like to big major events and stuff, but not, not nearly as much as I used to. Um, and it's really interesting because you're, you're looking at, of course, you know, the dollars coming in. You're looking at your sales year to date and how you're performing against last year. You're trying to analyze and figure out why the numbers look the way that they do and what you can do to improve them if they need improvement and what you're doing right if they look good so that you can sort of copy paste that into other parts of the country. 
Um, but you're also really working with your sales team on their unique specific needs in their different markets and what their messaging needs to be to be successful. So lots of marketing material work, lots of brand coaching, um, lots of communication detail, I would say, is really what it's all about. Now, I'm guessing with Beryl's ability to make good stuff that your job gets a little bit easier then, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am super fortunate to work for this company. I mean, there are a lot of sales jobs out there, and I could be selling anything. And to work for Barrel Craft Spirits, such a well-awarded, well-known you know, whiskey company is like a dream, honestly. It's easy to sell stuff that you believe in, and it's even easier to sell it when other people believe in it, too. It definitely has its challenges, but it's it's a blessing, honestly. Well, and I was going to say, I'm guessing one of those challenges is you do work with a place that puts out interesting releases and more of that batch style and, and things like that. So, therefore, there is probably more education than normal. It's like, this is a bourbon. Well, kind of, but it's got a lot more to it. Uh, you're going to go on a roller coaster ride. How fun and challenging is that at the same time? It's really fun and it's really hard, if that makes sense. But being a person who, as I said earlier, likes to make their vacations as difficult as possible, I really, I really personally enjoy it. Um, it's a really interesting puzzle to look at when you're releasing so many different things and then figuring out how they fit into the market, where they fit in, who they should be benchmarking against, against as a competitor, what's a good sales tactic for you know this rye versus this finished whiskey this bourbon, so on and so forth. And um, I, I really, really like it. Last year was probably the hardest time we released, just in terms of logistics, we released, I think it was like 12 different products over the course of four months last year. We had all three of our gray label items, barrel, bourbon, barrel, dovetail, barrel, seagrass, all three of our gold, la gold label items, those same three things. Our barrel New Year bourbon that comes out every year in December. Um, we released a new barrel bourbon batch. I think it was 32 or 33, 33 that we finished last year with. Um, and then we had a number of Stellan specialty releases that we made as well. So figuring out how to A, divvy up all those allocations, B, get them all set up in different states with different laws and, and rules and registration stuff, train all of our different wholesale partners on what those things were and how to sell them and train our sales team on them and do all that while you're still trying to just run your core business is uh, not easy. <laughs> well, like you said, you like a good challenge. You don't want to do anything simple. And, and I feel like that's what probably makes Barrel fun. And it's fun for me as a consumer because it is such a, a wild ride. You, you have the dovetail, which is my favorite, and it's a roller coaster. And yeah. then the seagrass is totally different. And the Armida and all that are, is just wild. And I thought it was real cool that finally, for those watching and not listening, the, the Rye Batch 4. It's been a while since you guys had put out a, a batch of rye. Um, so how cool was it to get one of these back out, and what can folks expect with it? Oh, it was so exciting. I, you know, when you asked me back before if I've always been a whiskey drinker or not, like, I fell into bourbon first when I started drinking whiskey, like most people do, you know, from a palate sort of standpoint. Um, and then I discovered rye, and it is – I. I much prefer rye to bourbon. I just think it's a much more interesting spirit, just personally for me. It's what I really like to drink. And you know, to your point, we we release a lot of stuff, and I just wanna go back to this. I think it's important to note, like there's sort of two ways to look at releasing a lot of different items. It can either be like really stressful and confusing, or you can like look at it as like a really fun challenge and be excited about the fact that you always have something new to talk about. That's one of my favorite things about this company. Every time I do a tasting, every time I go into an account, I say like, 
you don't like bourbon, that's okay. I've got this great rye for you. If you don't like rye, that's okay. I've got this great finished whiskey. Like there's so many things to choose from. There's, there's never a situation when somebody doesn't like anything that we have. So that's super exciting and cool, but rye is definitely my favorite. And I'm glad you have the bottle because I do too. Make sure I had one next <laughs> to me. <laughs> but it's been about three years since we have three and a half years since we've released a rye batch. Rye batch three um, came out in February of 2020 and it was a double gold winner at the San Francisco World Spirits competition. So it was really exciting when that came out, but we took a couple of years off of producing rye, um, rye batches anyway, because we released barrel seagrass, which I'm sure as you guys know, that bottle right there is one of our best sellers. Um, we developed a whole private release rye, you know, finished rye barrel, private barrel program, which is super exciting and interesting. And then we launched Stellum and the ryes in particular that are in our Stellum portfolio, not just the core Stellum rye, but our Stellum specialties as well, Fibonacci and the Lone Cypress have won a ton of awards. Like they're, they're very, very well awarded. And so we were like, oh yeah, we, we do rye really well. We should get back to doing a rye batch with barrel. We like forgot for a minute, you know, how good we were at making blended rye. So super excited to have this out on the market. It's starting to ship this month kind of all over the country. What's really notable about it, for those of you who are watching, like you said, Jonathan, um, the back label I think is the most interesting thing. And if you're not watching, I encourage you to like look it up or go find a bottle in your store. But we've, you know, this year kind of redoubled down on our commitment to being super transparent about what we're putting into these bottles. So for those of you who are familiar with our any of our batches, you know, we never really talked about what the mash bill was. We never really talked about all the different ages that went into it and what states or distilleries those ages came from. And this year we put all of that right on the back label for you. So there's a whole list of blend components. So for Rye Batch 4, it'll tell you there's Indiana rye, there's Tennessee, there's Kentucky, and there's Canadian. And then it tells you, you know, the Indiana rye is five, six, and 10 years old. The Tennessee rye is five years old. The Kentucky rye is six years old. The Canadian rye is 14 years old. We've never given that level of transparency before. And then we also give a derived mash bill. So we take the aggregate total of all of those different ryes, what their mash bills are, we add them all together divide by the percentage of, you know, their, you know, percentage into that blend and then come up with what our average or our derived mash bill is. So this rye is an 89% rye, 7% corn and 4% malted barley rye. We've never been able to tell anybody that about any of our blends before. So it's really exciting. I was going to say that was something that, that I, I love because we do reviews as well, the neat and mix series. And, and we always, Barrel is always in our wheelhouse, at least my wheelhouse, because it's. I guess Trip and I and a few others have the same, uh, same love of, of those flavors. But it was always interesting when you're putting up with the price, and you guys are at a premium-ish price. It's nice to know what's in it and the ages, so, so you feel a little more comfortable knowing what what you can get. And I, I feel like consumers are going to love seeing that because you guys do have good stuff in there, and it is so cool to see where it comes from. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, we work with such a wide variety of partners. We have, I think right now, 75 plus different producers that we work with, not just in the U.S., but around the world for, for everything that we make. And so to be able to tell people a little bit more detail about what it is that they're spending their money on is is really unique, I think, and super interesting. If you're spending anywhere from, you know, 84 to $90 a bottle on one of these, you want to know kind of what goes into it, right? That's That's really important. Absolutely. And another one that I've, I've always loved these, because I feel like sometimes it's the season that you guys release it in and it's perfect if you kind of put one out in the fall, you kind of have those fall flavors in it and you do so so well. And then the latest one is batch 35 of the barrel bourbon that has come out. Mm -hmm. And what can folks expect with that? And also folks, if you're not familiar with barrel, don't go in thinking that they're 80 proof. They're a little stronger than that. 
<laughs> just a tad, yeah. You know, everything we make is cast strength for, for, for the most part. We have some interesting things happening this fall, which if there's time, I'd be happy to gossip with you about. But everything we make right now is cast strength. And um, one of my favorite things that I hear from people when I'm tasting them on this is, is they, they taste it and then they ask me, okay, what can you tell me about this? And I'll tell them what the proof is. And it's usually between like 112 and 122. That's about where most of our products sit. And it never fails. I always get in, oh my gosh, I never would have thought this was that high proof. It just drinks so much different than that. And I'm like, I know, I think that's a huge testament to our blending team's ability to pull flavor out of cast strength. It's not easy. There's a lot of cast strength whiskeys out there and a lot of them are really good. And there's some that aren't so good and that's okay. You know, things, there's something for everybody that's available, but to have the ability to pull that complexity out is super exciting. So batch 35, um, I also have a bottle. Uh, what I really love about this, it's one of the first ones that we've actually been able to put an award sticker on. I think that's kind of important to talk about because a lot of people want to know like what differentiates our batches, what, make, what makes them different from each other. Um, and talking about the awards is kind of always a really good way to get people excited about whatever bottling they're looking at. And we've never really done this type of labeling before with our bottles, but we did get this finished before the entry deadline for the San Francisco World Spirits competition this year, and it did pick up a gold medal. So we do have those stickers on these bottles, you'll see those out in the market as those kind of hit wherever y'all are. This is um, one of the more interesting batches I think that we've made in a really long time. It's gonna be our last bourbon batch of this year. Um, so coming out this month, it's gonna be the only one available for the rest of the year. We will release batch 36, you know, sometime in February or March of next year. But this has two of my favorite tasting notes in it, cherry and butterscotch. Two of my absolute favorite things to find. I am a sucker for fruit pie. I just love it. And cherry is one of my favorite flavors. And I think you get lots of like really good, like cooked cherry notes in this. Um, and when I was a kid, I used to just house Werther's Originals. Anytime I went to my grandparents' house. <laughs> like, Always I the grandparents' house. <laughs> at my grandma's house. I didn't know they were like for sale. I thought they were like grandma's candies. And I just would go nuts on them. And I love finding a, a really good butterscotch note anytime I'm drinking a whiskey. And that's what I, I love about um, some of my favorite ones have kind of been the ones you guys put out toward the fall because it is almost like a, the, the perfect season for that. They, they find those notes that you go, oh, man, this is when I would probably sit down, maybe have the, the bonfire going or something. Maybe not right now when we're talking and it's 99 degrees here in Kentucky. Yeah. But, um, you know, you, but if it's that kind of time of year where it's a little cooler at night and you get some really nice flavors. And, and I love how well you guys blend stuff because you're right. They don't. It's very rare that I say a barrel has comes in hot uh, mm -hmm. compared to the proof. That's like a rarity. It does happen occasionally to my palate, but very rare. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's cool about this is, you know, it's it's a more high rye bourbon focused blend, I would say. The derived mash bill on this one, um, I don't actually remember it off the top of my head. I would have to pull up our sell sheet. We had to bottle this before we got the labeling approval, I guess I would call it, to put that information on the back label. But all of our bourbon batches after this one will have the derived mash bill. But the back label copy does talk about how we use some some high rye bourbons in this blend. And I think they really stand out. And I, I just love a good high rye bourbon for the fall. Uh, absolutely. And I'm like you, I'm a rye, a rye guy as well. And like mm -hmm. you said, you you handle so much stuff. And you talked about it, you know, you had 12 releases when you combine several of the brands together. How fun is it? to handle that, you know, when the logistics come out, because obviously, like you said, there's a lot of work that goes into it. These are two releases along with all your core products that you guys have. <laughs> so it's not like it's, 
uh, ever staying easy for, for you? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, when I was a bartender and I wanted to get involved in brands, I wanted to be a brand ambassador. That was first and foremost what I thought I wanted to do. Cause that was mostly who came to my bar. And I was just like, Oh, you get to like sit here and just talk about whiskey and put it on a company card and like have a great time and be super popular and fun. That looks great. Like, why not? Who wouldn't want to do that? Um, I interviewed for a brand ambassador job at William Graham that I really wanted and or thought I really wanted. And I wound up not getting it. And I, uh, at the time I was on the sales team on the commercial side of the business. And I remember that was like a turning point for me where I was like, you know what? I, cause I don't know if this is necessarily what I want to do. I think I want to handle logistics more than I want to espouse like how amazing this, you know, whatever brand it is that I'm selling is not that I wouldn't do that anyway, but I was more intrigued by the, the commercial puzzle of things and the handling of the messaging out to all the different people that you're talking to. And a piece of feedback that I got from the hiring manager for that William Grant position was he was like, I think you're really good at presenting information, especially complicated information in a really like boiled down detail oriented manner that makes it easy for people to understand. And he was like, I think that's a really good talent, but that's not the talent a brand ambassador needs to have. And I was like, interesting. So I thought about it for a while. And once I got over not getting the role, I, uh, I got the call from Will and, you know, came to Barrel and started doing this. And I, I just think logistics are such a blast, honestly. First of all, you're talking about so many different types of whiskey. So you still get to talk about whiskey, right? And what you like about it. And what's the difference between bourbon and rye? And what are the ages on this? And there's Indiana and Tennessee in this. And how do those two things differ, you know, apart as a flavor profile? And how do they come together and work together to create something? Um, so you still get to do all that fun, creative stuff, but you're also you can see on paper the effects of your work, I think, in a way that you couldn't necessarily if you were working in a more like marketing or ambassadorial type of job. Um, and I really, one thing I've learned about myself in this job is I'm, I'm really goal motivated. I really like to receive the thing, break it apart, present it how I want to do it, and then see on paper the results of my work. And in this particular role, that looks like a sales number. Um, I just don't know if I'll ever go back, if I'm being honest. Well, and, it, and I think people forget too that it's not like this is you just wake up one day and all of a sudden you have this bottle to sell. It is a yeah. long process, you know, getting the labels yeah. to the TTB and, and, you know, blending and all that. It's, it's a long process. So the logistics side is even more wild than one might think. Absolutely. And this is the first, you know, iteration of my role at Barrel where I've been in the room for a lot of those conversations and talking about, okay, what do we want this back label copy to read? Do we want to put an award sticker on the bottle or not? Will that be effective or not? Like, how do we want to price this out to market? How do we, you know, what kind of ads do we want to run? Working with the marketing team on that sort of a thing. Um, doing staff trainings with, with wholesalers and teams about how to taste it and talk about it with their accounts when they go out into the world and don't have somebody from the brand with them to help them talk about this particular bottle. Um, all that stuff gets thought about months and months in advance. I mean, we're talking right now about everything that we're going to produce next year. So there are things in the works right now that we're discussing and making these decisions on that you're not going to see in the market until September, October, November of next year. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. 
And what is though coming out as 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 we we get to that? That's a perfect segue. You knew what I wanted to ask next oh, because yeah. I know obviously another new year will will be coming and and things like that that are kind of the traditional things. But what else can we expect in the fall and maybe early twenty twenty four that you know won't get Joe and Trip and some of them upset with you? <laughs> yeah, fair. Good caveat to add. Yeah, you can't you know let let everything loose too early. But the one thing that we're really excited to talk about is we have. For the first time ever, a non-cask strength item that we're bringing to market. Um, it's called Barrel Bourbon Foundation. It's going to be 100 proof. It's a five-year age stated blend of bourbons. Um, and we're launching it October 1st in a number of test markets across the country. I don't want to speak quite yet to what those markets are because, frankly, decisions are still being made. Um, which that, you know, it's August 24th as we're recording this. So <laughs> we've got five weeks to get all that sorted. Um, but we're really excited about it. This is going to be out um, at a $54.99 price point on retail shelves um, with some case deals in some markets that will get it down to below $50 bucks a bottle. And we're just really excited to put that out there. It's, like I said, our first thing that we're doing that's not cast strength. It's going to be the lowest price thing that we offer. So a great entry-level item into the rest of the bar barrel craft spirits portfolio. If you're not familiar with anything we've made before, you're not quite ready to pull the trigger on $90 or $100 bucks a bottle. Um, that's going to be really exciting. And then, of course, we have our Barrel New Year Bourbon 2024 that will be coming out in November of this year. But one thing that we've really committed to is dropping down the amount of cases that we make per release. So New Year Bourbon in the past has always, we've released it every December since, I think, 2017 or 2016. Um, and it's always been, you know, 2,500 or 3,000 sort of six-pack cases for the whole country. And in an effort to really kind of bring those limited releases in and make them feel a bit more allocated and more exciting and more special. We're almost having our production on a lot of that stuff. So this year's iteration of New Year Bourbon is going to be about 1,600 six-pack cases. So truly allocated, you know, truly special, truly hard to find if you see it out in the market. And all of our bourbon batch and rye batch products are following suit with that as well. So whereas people might have been used to finding old batches in the wild every now and then because we made, you know, 30,000 bottles of it or so, that's going to be going down to, you know, 15,000 or so bottles for all of those. And I, I love to see the, the, the price point too, because I'm guessing that means though the, the everyday releases that the, the, the traditional ones that they can find year round will probably still be able to be easily found. But to have that entry level, because for, for some, if you've never had barrel and you're looking at $80, $100 or, or more, depending on what, what label you're looking at, that can be kind of scary. Um, but but I, I love seeing it at that price point. And why 100 Is that one of those where you're like, well, we don't want to go too low, but we got to find that yeah. sweet spot for us. So people know well, when they go up to 115, they're okay. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, I think 100 proof is just a really great entry point for a lot of people. There are still people who like to put their whiskey, up, as they should, you know, on ice or add soda to it or put it in a cocktail. And I just, I, I personally think that if you do a whiskey under 100 proof like that, you're, you're going to lose a lot of the complexity, you're going to lose a lot of the makeup of what it is about that particular whiskey. I'm not saying it, you, you can or can't do it. Everybody's opinion is different. But for us as a company, having worked with cast strength for so long, we, we really do believe in making sure that the backbone of that whiskey is really the first thing that you notice is prevalent no matter how you're drinking it. And I think when you go under 100 proof, you, you tend to lose that a little bit. Plus 100 just looks so nice on the label. 
<laughs> that is true. And, there, and 100 is one that many can can uh, relate to. Is there, there are several others that always have to hit 100 if they want to be on a certain label. And, you know, w- when people also think of barrel, you mentioned the seagrass. Dovetail is one, probably one of my favorites out there. The Armedia and even the Vantage. You guys do some interesting finishes. And for those that see those bottles, what can they expect? Because that's a, something different, completely different uh, than maybe what others are doing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dovetail, Seagrass, and Vantage are what we call our evergreen portfolio. So those three items, they're going to be around, you know, for now until the end of time is the plan. Um, They're really interesting because they kind of bring you into bourbon, rye, and American whiskey specifically, and they each have different finishes on them. So there's really, truly something for everybody with all three of those. Barrel Armida, which you mentioned, was part of our core portfolio for a little while. and it's honestly, it's one of the one of the favorites. But when we, it's a blend of bourbons finished in pear brandy, Jamaican rum, and Sicilian amaro barrels. And it's great for the fall and particularly the winter because it just has that beautiful like orchard fruit, you know, earthy bouquet. But when we released Barrel Vantage last year, which is a blend of bourbons finished in Mizunara French and toasted American oak casks, we noticed that they were really competing against each other in a way that wasn't going to be good for the health of either item long term. And so this is one of those strategic decisions in this position that you get to be part of discussing and talking about and planning for, which is so cool. We were talking about how Armida is just really popular with people that it's really popular with, but it isn't really bringing in traditional bourbon drinkers to the brand that haven't experienced barrel before because it is such a more esoteric almost Mm. kind of flavor profile with those finishes. Barrel Vantage, on the other hand, is the first product that we had ever made that focused exclusively on oak casks. And so what that does is that afforded our sales team and our our brand an opportunity to talk about these different types of oak and how they influence a whiskey, which is a really cool talking point and something that a lot of other brands are are doing because they distill and put their own bourbons straight into their own barrels. For us, we don't do that. We receive the bourbons, you know, after they've been made. We don't we don't distill anything. We're blenders. and then what we choose to do with them after is what changes the flavor profile. So having the ability to a obtain all three of those different unique types of oak, and then age whiskey in them and kind of see what what they did and how it worked as a blend, really we thought was a better sort of hook into the brand than Barrel Armida, as cool as Barrel Armida was. It, it, it's wild. <laughs> no, that's I love it. No, it's just a really cool kind of strategic thing that I don't know that you would think about. Because, of course, you want to say, like, I want to keep all of them. I don't want to get rid of anything. Mm -hmm. I love it all. They're all my babies. But, you know, every now and then something's got to give. And so that was kind of the first instance of something like that in in our portfolio. And it was pretty cool to see it unfold. Barrel seagrass is always going to be something that, you know, attracts people, I think, who both really love to drink whiskey and people who really like to drink other spirits. It's a blend of American and Canadian rye with rum, agricole, apricot, brandy, and, um, Momsy Madeira cask finishes on it. So just right there, you're just like, what is this? <laughs> but you drink it and it's, you know, it's like 119 proof and it's got like these beautiful, like briny kind of minerally notes to it. It's just really refreshing. Great on its own. Great any time of year. You can put it in a cocktail too. I, I love a seagrass daiquiri if anybody's interested in that. Mm. And then Barrel Dovetail, I think, is really the more classic one that really hooks in more like wine drinkers or more kind of serious bourbon drinkers because it's got those Cabernet, Blackstrap molasses rum, and port finishes on it. So you get a lot more of those like rich, jammy, and chocolatey kind of notes to it. 
I also just love if, if if you were paying close attention, all the different varieties that that are blended into into wine. And I think I, I forget what, which episode it was when I was talking to him, but it's like we are like the number one buyer of this product because no, because like, we want it for seagrass or whatever it was. And it was wild to hear that that they like basically bought ninety percent of the market because they needed it for 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 one of your finishes. And it, but it goes to showcase the innovation and thought process that you guys put into it and how distinct that these are that you may not get elsewhere. Absolutely. And I think also too, the, the belief in that it's going to be successful, right? When you're forecasting out how many, you know, rum agricole barrels you need to make barrel seagrass, you, you need to sort of have a rough idea of how many you're going to buy, or you're going to have an out of stock problem. There are so many components that go into each of these, you know, whiskeys that you have to really forecast and think ahead, like how much of this are we going to make and how much of it can we sell? And do we have enough on hand, you know, goods to, to actually make these things without coming into any out of stock problems? And, um, you know, when we launched Seagrass, I think we sold, it was something in the neighborhood of like five times what we had thought it would, would happen with it just from like a, you know, low planning sort of standpoint. And Joe, and at the time Will had thought ahead and they had said, you know, we need to secure enough to produce X many cases just in case it blows up and gets popular and to their credit, they believed in it, they invested in it, and it's never been out of stock. It, it's it's fun, and folks, if you don't or haven't yet, I highly recommend giving Barrel a try. You will be in a, for a roller coaster of a ride, I think, most times. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. You'll, you'll get something so different uh, as the, as you, you take the drink. And it's there are really cool bottles to share with folks because not many people may be able to, to, to try something like these. And I think it's fun to to let, let others do that. And Stephanie, thank you for sharing your story and the story of Barrel and, and such cool pours that they have. My pleasure, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Find more from Hops and Spirits at hopspirits.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.